Chapter Eleven of Mind the Paint Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mind the Paint Girl by Lewis Tracy. Chapter Eleven: The End of the Frolic. There was an air of constraint, almost of irritation, about Lily Paradell which was so unnatural that even the lovesick farncombe noticed it he racked his brains to discover if he could possibly have said or done anything to annoy her but his conscience acquitted him and he strove to disregard her manifest malaise another ice he asked after an awkward pause when she had answered in a monosyllable some casual remark about the regimental marquis at ascot no thanks she replied stooping to regain her bouquet in which she buried her flushed face promptly then and not till then did he learn that she had changed bouquets during some earlier interval these flowers were carnations not roses oh he said and the flow of words so suddenly available as suddenly deserted him the font of his eloquence died at its source he felt as a thirst maddened arab might feel when he reaches the smiling oasis only to find that it was a mirage or rather to drop from metaphor to fact the few glasses of champagne he had swallowed had gone to his head and the measure of his present dejection was that of his earlier beatitude she pretended to misunderstand that involuntary cry don't you like it she exclaimed i found it among the others in my dressing-room it's from the gallery boys and i attach some value to it you must not forget lord farncombe that i am an actress first and foremost and the applause of the gallery is the breath of my nostrils whatever that may mean though i know it means something pleasant moreover isn't it touching to think of those youngsters clubbing together with their sixpences to buy me such a nice present she spoke rather hurriedly but continued to look at him with steady eyes yet sad to relate miss lily paradell was not being quite so candid as her words and manner seemed to imply during the whole of supper-time she had striven vainly to find some plausible means of escape from the false position in which that beautiful but unhappy bouquet of roses had placed her a chance visit to her dressing-room and the sight of the gallery boy's tribute had suggested a harmless yet effective artifice more than once during the evening she was on the verge of showing the new bouquet to her admirer though wishing that he might perceive the exchange for himself but farncombe had eyes only for her this time she determined he should notice it you are kind to the gallery boys but rather cruel to me said farncombe at last she wished most devoutly that this young man did not possess the faculty of rendering her tongue-tied she was completely at a loss what to say and the two were smiling at each other he somewhat wistfully and she with not a little embarrassment when the red-haired waiter banged open a door seized a box of cigars off the counter and banged out again 
performing the simple duty with an amount of unnecessary noise that would have earned one of luigi's regulars a stern reprimand farncombe came to the girl's relief he fumbled with his program and read number nine two-step mind the paint of course you're engaged for this he inquired and you surely she cried thankful for his tact if inclined to marvel at it no i er i kept it open in case in case i dance it with maury she said decisively without the least affectation of not following his stammering intent mr cooling he murmured politely yes maury cooling farncombe was rapidly acquiring a subtle knowledge of a woman's ways he believed that this charming and vivacious girl was far more amenable to a judicious pause than to his finest flight of eloquence so he remained silent now purposely and lily sat down uninvited he sat near her miss paradell he said at last well if nothing else he had certainly succeeded in making her nervous i wonder if mr cooling would let you off this dance i shouldn't dream of asking him she answered no of course not but may i i beg you'll do nothing of the sort she said almost haughtily forgive me murmured farncombe and there was another pause so prolonged that lily herself was forced to break it i spoke so so sharply to you just now she began but her companion could not bear that she should reproach herself with his apparent blunder you didn't speak sharply to me he protested oh but i did and it was because i have been very nasty with maury i wrote him a furious letter and i want to make it up to him ah yes sighed farncombe how well she could make it up to cooling or to any man when she chose i called him a pig and other things went on lily hurriedly and now i hate myself for it a pig it was difficult for farncombe to grasp essentials when he was under lily's spell but the word jarred him on a little a smile did away with the effect in a moment still that's no reason why i should be nasty to you she said and call me a pig he laughed the infatuated youth now found some element of humor in the word lily always impulsive bent nearer so that she might compare her program with his and the fragrance of her the merest scent of her hair was bewildering look here she said in what she meant to be a friendly tone and nothing else i want to make it up to you now fifteen the last but one are you fixed up for fifteen no he replied without even a glance at his own program no she repeated rounding her eyebrows i-i kept it open in case the girl laughed merrily she could not help it his adulation was so open so complete then she remembered the self-imposed check on a serious flirtation of which the changing of the bouquets was the earliest outcome i may be able to give you fifteen she said severely seeing that farncombe was scribbling her name at once don't count on it please but it's booked mr fulkerson and bertie's not always to be depended upon at that hour thank you thank you you have no idea what a night this has been for me he cried eagerly greatly daring he followed her example and edged a little nearer 
though lily had drawn away from him as soon as she had glanced at the ballroom program that reminds me may i ask who is going to see you home miss paradell see me home from lily's astonished intonation it might have been imagined she had never before been asked such a question by a young man it would be an honor that i should appreciate more than i can find words to express he said humbly she rose picking up her bouquet and shot a somewhat indignant glance at him i am very much obliged to you she said giving the words an emphasis that was decidedly chilling but i dare say mr roper will see me home and mr de castro and mr bland she walked a few steps towards the door and farncombe followed her i-i hope i-i haven't offended you he said not in the least came the frigid reply only that i am in the habit of relying on old friends for those little services stidolf that lost soul entered and with him came the strains of mind the paint played by the orchestra to the lively measure of a two-step and the young guardsman drew himself up with the air of a man who has made a mistake and is ready to bear the punishment shall i take you to mr cooling he said in a voice that was well under control lily still on her dignity inclined her head in the most approved style of theatrical haughtiness she was putting her hand through his arm when the look of despair on his face softened her and she became her own sweet self again have i hurt you she whispered oh i deserve the rebuke he said manfully no you don't she cooed you're a nice boy and i'm sure you only meant to be attentive you may leave me at my door with the others if it will give you any satisfaction an almost uncontrollable emotion choked farncombe's utterance hot and passionate words were whirling in his brain when the bulky form of cooling appeared in the doorway he was breathless with the extra exertion of climbing stairs and hurrying along the corridor ah there you are he cried i've been looking for you everywhere except the one place where you were sure to find me cried the girl her manner altering completely from the tension of the last few minutes come on maury she danced a step or two to the music and sang a line of the chorus then handing her bouquet to farncombe with a cheerful request that he should bring her flowers to her afterwards she thrust an arm through coolings and the two ran out dancing and singing for the consequential and heavily built manager could unbend with the best of them when lily paradell was his partner farncombe still wrapped in a paradise of his own by lily's forgiveness and ultimate concession was following when stidolf called to him spare me a moment he said laying a hand on his arm that is if you aren't dancing no i am free said the guardsman a trifle impatiently perhaps because it was in his mind to watch lily paradell's graceful dancing from the dress circle his admiration of her self-like movements was no mere outcome of calf love she personified the very spirit of carnival and was quite as fascinating to the onlooker in an ordinary waltz as when indulging in the more elaborate or less restrained posturings on the stage colonel stidolf however seemed to be at a loss to know how to begin indeed he had set himself a difficult and thankless task and might well feel uncertain as to the way in which the younger man would take it 
Excuse me for what I am going to say, he almost whispered, but I, I know your father, knew him very well years ago, and your mother, my boy, my dear boy, it's hard. Why, what's the matter, Colonel? cried Farncombe, both surprised and mystified by Stidolf's manner. Well, I, I'm sorry to find you in this set. Farncombe drew up stiffly at that. He guessed now what was coming. What do you mean? he asked. Don't be angry with me, said Stidolf brokenly. I'm an old man and an old fool. But it is from the fools that the useful lessons are to be learnt by those who are wiser. Farncombe withdrew his arm and affected to inhale the scent of Lily's carnations. I really don't understand you, he said. Try to, pleaded Stidolf. Not now. Another time. When this music isn't exciting you, nor these pretty women, think it out by yourself. You're at the beginning of your career, my boy. Remember me, the old fool, who has brought himself to a miserable end, and that I cautioned you, cautioned you. Luigi rushed in, followed by the red-haired waiter and another carrying a tray. The little Italian was laughing boisterously. Heh, heh, he cackled. Why don't you join em, gentlemen? You're losing it all. They're having a romp, a regular old lark. That's right, your lordship, as Farncombe ran off. Make haste, colonel. They're sure to want you, and I've known the time. Stidolf went out slowly, and Luigi began to bustle about the counter. Whiskey and soda for Mr. Tavish. Liqueur brandy, Mr. Grimwood. He banged the glasses down on the tray, and one of his aides vanished with them. The taller man, who had thrust his hands into his pockets, was watching Luigi grimly, and when the presiding genius of Catani's would have gone out again in order to watch the frolic on the stage, he called him back. Here, Luigi, he said, taking out a hand full of money and selecting a couple of sovereigns. Give this to your chaps. Oh, you're spoiling them, Captain, said the smiling Italian. Never mind, and these are for you. Some more gold changed hands, and Luigi bowed low. Thank you very much, he said. I hope you have enjoyed yourself. Oh, thoroughly, though what between one thing and another it was warm work. I'll be off now, with your permission and Jice stretched out his arms with the action of a man who has been carrying a heavy burden and is testing his muscles to make certain that they have survived the ordeal. Shall I see you at lunch, Captain? said the grinning Luigi. Probably. Good night, or rather, good morning. Jice seemed to have lost some of his military bearing. He actually slouched away to a side door and stopped there a moment listening to the music. Suddenly both he and the Italian became aware of a tumult. People were singing uproariously, shouting and laughing, and the sounds came nearer. Evidently some sort of pandemonium had broken loose. Not for the first time had the air of mind the paint sent the red blood rioting through the veins of men and women. Hello, growled Jice between his teeth. They're coming this way. He retreated swiftly to the back of the counter and Luigi peeped out. Ha, 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 he cried delightedly. Now they're at it. Fulkerson was the avant courier of the revelers, 
He rushed in, flourishing his arms madly, and skipping like a satyr. His bloodshot eyes were almost starting out of their sockets with excitement, and his usually pallid face was now absolutely livid. Behind him came Lily Paradell, carried on the interlocked arms of two men belonging to the company, while a third held her by the waist, lest any accident should happen to her. Two by two, the rest of the revelers, singing the chorus of Mind the Paint and dancing it with fantastic extravagance. Even the self-contained Carlton Smythe and the ponderous Morris Cooling were indulging in a can-can, and Dolly Enzer fancied she was back in the heyday of Polly Taggart. The party circled the foyer twice, and some of the Italian waiters, whose hot smothered blood was not to be denied when Saturnalia broke loose, joined in con amore. Lily, waving her bouquet, was alternately shrieking with laughter and breathlessly imploring her carriers not to drop her. The orchestra, knowing that their patrons were engaged in a mad gallop around the theater, played with redoubled energy, and Jimmy Birch, thinking that some of the men needed stimulating to fresh exertions, broke from the queue and jumped on to a settee to sing at the top of her voice, Mind the paint, mind the paint. A girl is not a sinner just because she's not a saint. Please don't drop me, screamed Lily. Oh, please. Luigi threw open the folding doors and out the frenzied procession raced, followed by all the Italians. Jice came from behind the bar, thrust his hands into his pockets, and sauntered towards the side door, for which he had been making when the frolic began. Stidolf, who had come in again, was lighting his fiftieth cigarette, gazed at him curiously once more. That's the same waiter chap who was so interested in Lily Paradell's bouquet, he mused. Dash it all. I've seen him somewhere. I can't make it out. He's a queer-looking customer to be a waiter, anyhow. Good Lord, what time is this thing going to stop? When Jice reached the street, he staggered like a drunken man. With an effort, he pulled himself together and inhaled a few deep breaths of the morning air, or of that peculiar variety of morning air which clings to London after it has been well scoured by the hose pipes during the quiet hours. A dozen or more automobiles lined the curb and a number of cigarette-smoking chauffeurs eyed him to ascertain if, by chance, he should be the particular employer each was on the lookout for. Naturally, he felt that his appearance was more remarkable than was actually warranted by the facts, so he donned the silk hat he was carrying, and then remembered, with a vague sense of annoyance, that the hat would not fit over the wig. He managed to balance it precariously while wriggling into a light overcoat, but the hat fell off and rolled into the gutter, which was still swimming with water after the street-cleaning operations. He recovered it and walked away, miserably conscious that the incident would provide the group of grinning chauffeurs with ample material for humorous comment. None of them dared laugh outright since Jice was too big a man to take liberties with. At the next corner he encountered an empty taxi, bowling home from a late job, and the driver, having ascertained that German Street was the objective, agreed to take him there. 
Once in the vehicle, Jice surveyed his damaged hat, for the mind insensibly assuages its greater sorrows by yielding to minor ones. Poor old Topper, he said, smiling grimly at its apparent ruin. You're like myself, lost your gloss, and plunging headlong into the mire. Then he was seized with an unreasonable anger against the offending wig, which he tore off and threw into the street. The beard followed, though not without inflicting a few seconds of torture, and both articles excited much speculation in the breast of a policeman who found them some minutes later. But the policeman's musings were without form and void as compared with those of the taxi driver when Jice alighted outside his chambers and produced a liberal fare. The man's sharp, half-scared expression stirred Nico's bemused wits. Oh, it's all right, he laughed savagely. I haven't been taking part in a tragedy. At least, not the sort of thing the newspapers are interested in. It was only a joke, the silliest kind of joke you ever heard of, and I suddenly grew tired of it. I live here. It's all right, I tell you. Good morning. The driver saw that this queer masquerader did really possess a key which gave him admission to the set of flats, and was slightly reassured when Jice went in and closed the door. But he noted the number of the house and the hour. One never knew. Strange things happened in London. Jice went to his rooms, washed off some of the adhesive stuff which had kept the beard in place, and was minded to go to bed. He heard a clock chime the half hour and glanced at his watch. Half past three. Half an hour ago, he swore savagely. Angling for him, he snarled. Lily, my Lily, actually angling for him. Oh, she's artful like the rest of her sex, brought his flowers to the theater, and then grew coy, played the ingenue by staging the gallery boy's bouquet. That was sly, d-blanked-d-sly. Oh, Lily, Lily. His body swayed as though he were racked with pain. He was sitting in an armchair, but he sprang up in the obedience to an impulse mixed himself a strong whiskey and soda, which he drank at a gulp, and donned his overcoat again. Picking up the damaged hat, his glance fell on its smears of half-dried mud. He threw it aside angrily, raced into an adjoining room, rummaged in a drawer, and took out a deerstalker cap. Then, lighting a cigarette, he went out, and if the taxi driver could have seen his face at that moment— the man would certainly have confided his suspicions to the nearest policeman. End of chapter 11